Chapter sixty nine of the Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. The Headless Horseman A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter sixty nine Mystery and Mourning. There is mourning in the mansion of Casa del Corvo, and mystery among the members of Woodley Poindexter's family. Thou now only three in number, their intercourse is less frequent than before, and marked by a degree of reserve that must spring from some deep-seated cause. They meet only at the hour of meals, then conversing only on such topics as cannot well be shunned. There is ample explanation of the sorrow, and much of the solemnity. The death, no longer doubted, of an only son, an only brother, unexpected and still unexplained, should account for the melancholy mien both of father and daughter. It might also explain the shadow seated constantly on the brow of the cousin. But there is something beyond this. Each appears to act with an irksome restraint in the presence of the others even during the rare occasions on which it becomes necessary to converse on the family misfortune. Beside the sorrow common to all three, they appear to have separate griefs that do not, and cannot, commingle. The once proud planter stays within doors, pacing from room to room, or around the enclosed corridor, bending beneath a weight of woe that has broken down his pride and threatens to break his heart. Even strong paternal affection, cruelly bereaved, can scarce account for the groans, oft accompanied by muttered curses, that are heard to issue from his lips. Calhoun rides abroad as of yore, making his appearance only at the hours of eating and sleeping, and not regularly then. For a whole day, and part of a night, he has been absent from the place. No one knows where, no one has the right to inquire. Louise confides herself to her own room, though not continuously. There are times when she may be seen ascending the azotea, alone and in silent meditation. There, nearer to heaven, she seeks solace for the sorrows that have assailed her upon earth, the loss of a beloved brother, the fear of losing one far more beloved, though in a different sense, perhaps a little also, thought of a scandal already attaching to her name. Of these three sorrows the second is the strongest, the last but little troubles her, and the first, for a while keenly felt, is gradually growing calmer. But the second, the supreme pain of all, is but strengthened and intensified by time. She knows that Maurice Gerald is shut up within the walls of a prison, the strong walls of a military guardhouse. It is not their strength that dismays her. On the contrary, she has fears for their weakness. She has reason for her apprehension. She has heard of the rumours that are abroad, rumours of sinister significance. She has heard talk of a second trial, under the presidency of Judge Lynch and his rude cadutus, not the same Judge Lynch who officiated in the Alamo, nor all of the same jury but a court still less scrupulous than that of the regulators, composed of the ruffianism that at any hour can be collected 
within the bounds of a border settlement, especially when proximate to a military post. The reports that have thus gone abroad are to some a subject of surprise. Moderate people see no reason why the prisoner should be again brought to trial in that irregular way. The facts that have late come to light do not alter the case, at least in any way to strengthen the testimony against him. If the four horsemen seen were not Indians, and this has been clearly shown by the discovery of the disguises, it is not the less likely that they have had to do with the death of young Poindexter. Besides, there is nothing to connect them with the Mustanger any more than if they had been real Comanches. Why, then, this antipathy against the respited prisoner for the second time surging up? There is a strangeness about the thing that perplexes a good many people. There are few that understand, or suspect, the cause, a very few, perhaps only three individuals. Two of them are Sed Stump and Louise Poindexter. The third, Captain Cassius Calhoun. The old hunter, with instinct keenly on the alert, has discovered some underhanded action. The actors being Miguel Diaz and his men, associated with a half-score of like characters of a different race, the rowdies of the settlement. Seb has traced the action of its instigator, the ex-captain of volunteer cavalry. He has communicated his discovery to the young Creole, who is equal to the understanding of it. It is the too clear comprehension of its truth that now inspires her with a keen solitude. Anxiously, she awaits every word of news, watches the road leading from the fort to Casa del Corvo, as if the sentence of her own death, or the security of her life, hung upon the lips of some courier to come that way. She dares not show herself at the prison. There are soldiers on guard, and spectators around it, a crowd of the idle curious, who, in all countries, seem to feel some sort of sombre enjoyment in the proximity of those who have committed great crimes. There is an additional piquancy in the circumstances of this one. The criminal is insane, or, at all events, for the time out of his senses. The guard-house doors are at all hours besieged, to the great discomfort of the sentries by people eager to listen to the mutterings of the delirious man. A lady could not pass in without having scores of her eyes turned inquiringly upon her. Louise Poindexter cannot run the gauntlet of those looks without risk to her reputation. Left to herself, perhaps she would have attempted it, watched by a father whose suspicions are already awakened, by a near relation, equally interested in preserving her spotless before the eyes of the world, she has no opportunity for the act of imprudence. She can only stay at home, now shut up in her solitary chamber, solaced by the remembrance of those ravings to which she had listened upon the Alamo, now upon the azotea, cheered by the recollection of that sweet time spent among the mesquit trees, the spot itself almost discernible, where she had surrendered the proudest passion of her heart, but saddened by the thought that he to whom she surrendered it is now humiliated, disgraced, shut up within the walls of a goal, perchance to be delivered from it only unto death. To her it was happy tidings, when, upon the morning of the fourth day, said Stump made his appearance at Casa del Corvo, that the hostsoggers had come back to the fort. There was significance in the news thus ungrammatically imparted. There was no longer a danger of the perpetration of that foul act hitherto apprehended. 
a prisoner taken from his guards, not for rescue, but ruin. "'You needn't be uneasy about the air event,' said Seb, speaking with a confidence he had not shown for some time. "'There's no longer danger of it coming to pass, Miss Levesey. I took precautions against it.' "'Precautions? How, Seb?' "'Well, first place, I've seen the major class order is coming back, and guide him a bit on my mind. I told him the whole story, as far as I know it myself. By good luck, he ain't aging the young fella, but the t'other way I reckon, well, I told him, that going on the whole crew, Americans, Mexican, and all of them, not forgetting the ugly Spaniard in the name of these, that's been one of the scariest of the lot, the result being that the major has doubled the sentries round the prison, and is going to keep them doubled. I am so glad. You think there is no longer any fear from that quarter? If you mean the quarter or Mr. Miguel de East, I can't swear to it. Afore he thinks of getting anybody else out of prison, he's got to get himself out. What? Diaz in prison? How? When? Where? You ask three separate questions, Miss Louise. All a heap. Well, I reckon the convenient way to answer him is to take him backwards. First, as to the where. As to that, there is but one prison in these parts, and I'll be likely to hold him. That's the guardhouse at the fort. He's there. Along with? I know who you're going to name, the young fella. Just so. They're in the same building, though not exactly in the same room. There's a patrician between them, though, for that matter, they can converse, if they're so inclined. There's three others shut up along with the Mexican, his own cast comrades. The three I'll have something to talk about among themselves, I reckon. This is good news, Seb. You told me yesterday that Diaz was active in... Getting himself into a scrape, which he had been successful in effectuating. He's got himself into the jog, or somebody else had did from the business of him. But how? When? You're not told me. Go hoss off that. Miss Louise, give me a little time. I ain't drew breath yet since I came in. Your second question was then ere easy answer. About an hour gone, the air wormit were trapped and locked up. I were just setting at the door ain't him, and come straight custard here after it war done. But you have not yet said why he was arrested. I hadn't had a chance. Here are longish stories, and I'll take a little time in telling, but you listen to it now or after. After what, Mr. Stump? Well, Miss Louise, I only mean after, after, I get the old mare put up. She ain't standing there, as if she'd like to short year or corn or something to wet her down. But she and me's been on a longish tramp before we got back to the fort, which we did scarce an hour ago. Pardon me, there, Mr. Stump, for not thinking of it. Pluto, take Mr. Stump's horse to the stable, and see that it is fed. Florinde, Florinde, what will you eat, Mr. Stump? Well, as for that, Miss Louise, thank you all the time, but I ain't so particularly sharp set. I were only thinking of the mare. For myself, can't go a couple of hours longer without eating, but if there's such a thing as a smell of monogale about the place, it ought to do this old courtship of mine power good. Monogahela, plenty of it. Surely you will allow me to give you something better. Better than Monaga Heoy? Yes, some sherry, champagne, brandy, if you prefer it. Let him drink brandy as like it, and king it it or drinkable. There, though, maybe be some of it going off. And if there air, 
I'm sure they'll be found in the house of Point Dexter. I only know to the sort the sutler keeps up at the fort. If there ever were a medicine, that's one. It'll rot the guts of an alligator. No, darned are French liquors, and speciality to brandy. Give me the pure corn juice, and the best of all, that as comes from Pittsburgh on a monongale. Florent, Florent. It was not necessary to tell the waiting maid for what she was wanted. The presence of Seb Stump indicated the service for which she had been summoned. Without waiting to receive the order, she went off, and the moment after returned, carrying a decanter half filled with what Seb called the pure corn juice, but which was in reality the essence of rye, for from this grain is distilled the celebrated Monongahela. Seb was not slow to refresh himself. A full third of the contents of the decanter were soon put out of sight, the other two-thirds remaining for future potations that might be required in the course of the narration upon which he was about to enter. End of chapter 69 Recording by Christine G. in Oslo, Norway, 2nd of October, 2011